Notice with me Mark chapter 9 and verse 23. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. So, if you've been with us, you know we have been examining the miracles of the Bible so that we can better understand how God works wonders. And these stories, these stories in the Scripture, these stories of healing and deliverance not only inspire us, they instruct us. In other words, it's more than edification, it's an education. Because through these testimonies, we learn how we can experience the miraculous power of God in our lives. Now, technically speaking, strictly speaking, a miracle occurs when God does not the improbable, but the impossible. A miracle is something for which there is no logical explanation except divine intervention. A miracle is an event that defies the laws of nature. It's something that only God can do. And this world and his church in this generation, I believe they need to see the miracle-working power of God. Now, in a general sense, folks, anytime God does something for you, maybe not technically, but in a general sense, we could call that a miracle too. It may not override the laws, the principles of physics, but it's also not a coincidence. It's God doing something for you. He's demonstrating and displaying his goodness in your life. Can I get an amen? amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. But modern man, especially in our day, modern man scoffs, mocks the idea of miracles, you see. In his mind, only a rube, meaning only some ignorant, uneducated country bumpkin, would believe in miracles. And in the church world today, many in the church world, from the pulpit to the pew, they reject the notion that God could perform miracles. To them, that seems far-fetched. In other words, there's many people in the church world. I mean here in this state, in this region, and around the world, if you were to suggest that God can or has worked a miracle, they would look at you askance. They would kind of think, oh, you're not very bright. Are you listening to me? They think you must be a fanatic. You must be a religious kook. But listen, if we believe the Bible, we must believe in miracles. I'll say it again. If we truly believe the Bible, we must believe in miracles. The pages of Scripture are filled with accounts of how people's circumstances, ordinary men and women, just like you and me, their circumstances, their lives were changed by the hand of God. Are listening? From Abraham to Moses, from David and the prophets to the early church, from the Old Testament to the New, we see miracles. And my friend, if we remove all of the miracles from the Bible, what do we have? We're left with a God who is dead and a book that is void of relevance or power for our lives. If we believe the Bible, we must believe in miracles. In Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, Isaiah 9, 6, it says, For to us... A child is born. 
To us, a son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful. Isaiah predicted the birth of Jesus some 700 years before it happened, and his name shall be called Wonderful. The Hebrew word translated wonderful, I believe it's pronounced Pele, means a miracle. The Hebrew word translated wonderful means a miracle. Jesus' whole life is a miracle. He came into this world through a miraculous conception, not through ordinary means. His ministry evidenced a stream, an unending stream of miracles. He cured the sick, instantly brought sanity to those who were mentally deranged. He calmed the storm and the waves with his words. He walked on water. He raised the dead. It's a miracle. His resurrection was an astounding miracle, the greatest miracle in human history, the greatest demonstration of God's power, whether you realize it or not, the greatest demonstration of God's power ever seen. And then a breathtaking, stunning miracle when he ascended up, physically ascended up into heaven while a loyal band of followers watched him from beginning to end. Jesus is a miracle. And so are you. To claim to be a Christian and deny the miraculous is a contradiction. I said to claim to be a Christian. I don't care what church you belong to. You don't have to be Pentecostal. You don't have to be charismatic. You don't have to be belong to this denomination or that belong denomination, but you do have to belong to Jesus. If you are a Christian and you deny miracles, that's a contradiction, a huge contradiction. The new birth is not a theological doctrine. It is a miraculous event. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized with the Holy Spirit, and speaking in a heavenly language in other tongues is a phenomenon that goes beyond human reasoning. We are miracle people. Hallelujah. Are you out there today? Some Christians say, well, if I could see a miracle, then I'd believe in miracles. If I could see a miracle, then I'd believe in them. But you see, it's a spiritual law throughout the scriptures. The believing precedes the seeing. That would be like the sinner saying, if I could feel saved, then I would believe the gospel. It don't, it don't work that way. The believing comes before the receiving. Amen? And just because, and just because something has not happened to you does not mean it cannot happen to anybody else either. Your life, not to offend you, but your life is not the standard by which all other things are judged. God's Word is. Don't judge the Bible in the light of your experiences. Judge your experiences in the light of the Bible. But see, a lot of Christians would rather change the Bible than let the Bible change them. No, I, I want to change with God. I want to conform my life to his word. I'm sure you do too. We, the church world, we need to believe in the miraculous again. God has called us, every one of us, not to have an ordinary existence, but an extraordinary life. We are miracle people. That's the problem with most Christians. You don't really know who you are. We are miracle people. We have a miracle God working miracles every day of the week. And he wants to work wonders in our lives too. I believe that. Maybe you don't, but that's why you're here this morning. That's why God brought you here this morning because there needs to be a change in our thinking. Hallelujah. Maybe you don't need the Red Sea to be parted. Maybe you don't need water to flow from a rock. I don't need that either. But you do need the Spirit of God to do something for you that no one else can do. 
And that's why you're here. Can I get an amen? So that's why we're studying miracles in the Word of God. And in Mark chapter 9, Mark chapter 9, we read about a man who came to Jesus on behalf of his son. And this boy had what we might term periodic epileptic seizures. Medically, I guess you would say he was having occasional or, or, or regular epileptic seizures. But the Bible says he had a demonic spirit. Now, most people, listen very carefully, most people who are sick, it's because of natural causes. It's because we live in a fallen world and our bodies are mortal and we live in a, we live in a world that, that, that is filled with disease. But there are some individuals, and this is not common, but there are some individuals who are ill and infirm because of the actual presence of an evil spirit. And that's also why some people do not respond to medical treatment. For example, in Luke chapter 11, verse 14, it says, now he was casting, Jesus, he was casting out a demon that was mute. That's interesting. I think some Christians have the same mute spirit. When Pastor John says something good, no amens. <laughs> Just kidding. He was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke. So, so here's a man, when the evil spirit was ejected from him, he could speak again. He was sick because of an actual evil spirit. But that's not true of everybody, you see. We don't read in the Bible that everybody that was sick was demonized. That's not true. And it would be a terrible mistake for you to assume that. But there are some cases like that. And that was the case with the boy in Mark 9. And in verse 18, Mark chapter 9, verse 18, the boy's father said to Jesus, teacher, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit. Now, he doesn't mean Holy Spirit. He means wrong spirit, evil spirit. He has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. And he foams, foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. That's interesting. Notice here that the disciples attempted to cast out this evil spirit and they failed. But if you go on reading, you'll see, but Jesus didn't fail. So even if scores of believers have prayed for you and gotten no results, don't give up hope. Even if 12 apostles, come on, friends, even if 12 apostles have laid hands on you to no avail, don't, don't, don't give up. Jesus can heal you. Jesus can make you well, even if others have failed. Hallelujah. And Jesus responded to what the man said. Jesus responded in verse 19. Now, if I was Jesus, I would have said, really? Wow. I wonder why that didn't happen. I, I don't know. Well, let me try. But that's not what Jesus said. He said, oh, faithless generation. <laughs> How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Sounds like Pastor Jeppy. How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? That's not a question. He wasn't expecting them to say, well, maybe another year. No, no, he's, it's not a question. It's an indictment. It's not a compliment, right? And of course, when he says this generation, that would include the boy's father. That would include the guy. Sometimes people say, Lord, speak to me. Well, you may not like what he has to say. Amen. The Passion Translation says this. Passion Translation. I like it. How much longer 
must I remain with you and put up with your unbelief? Is the Lord speaking to anybody this morning? No, sorry, don't raise your hand. How much longer, how much longer must I remain with you and put up with your unbelief? You can hear, I mean, just by reading this, you can hear the exasperation in his tone. Right? It's like, right? Right? So that would indicate that unbelief annoys the Lord. Amen? Especially in people who know better. People who have heard God's word not once or twice, but repeatedly, he's exasperated. How much longer do I have to put up with your unbelief? Unbelief is a bad habit. You know, if there's a Christian among us who's smoking and drinking and cussing and cursing, we're disappointed, aren't we? We're like, oh, man. I saw that guy smoking. I saw that guy doing drugs. I saw that sister, you know, drunk. I heard him, all this foul language. You're like, oh, so, oh man, I'm really kind of embarrassed, so disappointed. But unbelief is a worse habit than smoking or drinking or cussing. You don't think so. You don't think so. I am certainly not endorsing smoking and drinking. I, I don't do any of those things, you know. And I'm trying to watch my mouth once in a while like something. But, you know, I, I believe in speaking the right words, you know. Hallelujah. But there's, there's the regions of hell that are full of people who didn't believe. And they never smoked a cigarette. Come on, it's real quiet in this um, a Holy Ghost church. <laughs> look at your neighbor and see if he's awake. Don't look too hard, though. He might look back. Praise the Lord. Amen. Whew. Then Jesus said it. I know this is painful for some of you. Then Jesus said in the next verse, uh, the same verse, actually, bring him to me. As soon as the boy, this, this boy with seizures, as soon as the boy was in Jesus' presence, that demon began to manifest so that means, you know, before that time, evidently, he was just standing there looking normal, I, I suppose. And suddenly now he, he falls on the ground and, and he's foaming. And just like the father said, the, the boy's father said. And that often happens. I said that often happens. Just a th side thought. When Jesus walked into the synagogue in, in Capernaum, we read it in, actually in Mark also, it's like the second chapter. When he walked into the synagogue, suddenly some man started shouting out, you know, why have you come here? Have you come to torment us? I know who you are. You're the son of God. He's a demon-possessed guy. And that demon started manifesting. And the clear implication is that this was not some madman of Gadara who happened to wander in the back door in the middle of the service. This is one of the deacons. One of the Baptist deacons right there. One of the Presbyterian elders. He's right there. And evidently, nobody knew that he's demon-possessed. But when the Spirit of God began to move, when Jesus walked into the place and the glory of God was revealed, that demon got real agitated and started manifesting. Yeah. See, that's bad when your church is so dry, even the devil enjoys the service. <laughs> I'm telling you the truth. That's really bad. I said, that's really bad. It's really bad when the devil is running your church. Hmm. Amen. Praise the Lord. The devil likes to hide, but when the glory is revealed, it upsets him. And that's why some people who seemingly are normal, when they get around you, suddenly, irrationally, are just going berserk and getting just like angry. Because the devil in them is aggravated by the Holy Ghost that's in you. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. So if your family's all upset with you and, and the community's all upset with you, it could be for a good cause because you're full of God and they're not. 
I mean, it could also be because you're a jerk, but it could be because you're full of God. <laughs> I hope not, but it could, you know, that could be the reason. Praise the Lord. Amen. So then Jesus, this is interesting, then Jesus turned to the Father and, and said to him, how long has this been happening to your boy? That's what he said. You, you read it. All right. The boy is wallowing in the ground. Foam is coming out of his mouth. He's writhing in pain. But Jesus did not immediately pounce on him and start casting out the devil. He turns and says to the father, how long has this been happening to him? He's en he engaged the father in a conversation. Meanwhile, this thing, blah, 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 all going on. Jesus did not just react to circumstances. Notice he engaged the father, the boy's father, in a conversation. Why? To locate him. What does he think? What does he believe? What does he really want? I think we make a mistake. We're too quick to pray for people. We mean well. You know, Sister Zama Zama's in the hospital. So we just go there as fast as we can, march right in the room. We just start praying for her. And, and then, you know, and then we just, you know, we call down thunder and lightning. And then we get back in our car and go home and have lunch. But, you know, we would be wise to talk to people. What, what, is it that you, what, is, what is it that you want God to do for you? You might think, well, that's an obvious question. No, it's not. I have prayed for people and asked them, do you want God to heal you? And they said, I don't really care. Well, I can't just say, well, I don't, doesn't matter. You're going to get healed anyways. No, no, no. Nobody can push off on somebody else what they don't want. I don't care how much faith you have. God will not override another person's will. If God was going to override a person's will, he'd override their will and get all the sinners saved today. We'd go in the millennium tomorrow. God will respect your right to choose, even if you choose wrongly. Amen. Praise the Lord. So the boy's father elaborated on the condition. And you know, it's been happening since he's a child. And then he goes further and basically says, and often that demon has tried to kill him. Notice verse 22, Mark 9, 22. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. You can hear the desperation in his voice. You can hear it. I mean, you can tell. And thank God, the Lord is compassionate. How many of you have found that out? How many of you are glad that God is compassionate? Amen. More compassionate than me or you. There are some people, if you were God, there are some people who wouldn't be in heaven today. <laughs> some of you are going to be a little disappointed when you go to heaven, he's here. What's he doing? Lord, what's he doing here? <laughs> Amen. Thank God he is compassionate, but just having a, a, a pitiful voice is not going to get you healed. Right? See, some, this, this man had that good old-fashioned Pentecostal waver in his voice. Lord, help me, Lord. Oh, Jesus, come on and heal me now. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. Oh, <laughs> yeah, but you're not going to get healed just because you sound pathetic. Like I always say, when I was first married, every time Pastor Jeppy prayed, she would say, Jesus. See, I got the mic now. <laughs> she thought, she thought that the sadder you sound, the more God will move. <laughs> right? That doesn't, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. Praise the Lord. Amen. Jesus answered the man in verse 23. If you can... All things are possible for one who believes. So that tells me Jesus took exception to what that man said. He didn't say, amen, amen, and amen. No, he said, wait a minute. Now, the new King James Version says this. 
if you can believe, comma, all things are possible to him who believes. And, you know, that's, that's right and true. Just a little point, though. However, the oldest and most reliable Greek manuscripts just say, if you can, full stop, then all things are possible for the one who believes. Evidently, it seems that Jesus was actually quoting that man. He said, if you can, and Jesus said, if you can. In fact, one translation, uh, the CJB translation says, Jesus said, what do you mean, if you can? Right? I think we've prayed that way too. Lord, I'm in trouble. Lord, if you can do anything, just help me. Oh, what do you mean, if you can do anything? See, it's so easy to slip into unbelief. Just hang out with some people, you'll be full of it. Just watch three hours of TV, you'll be full of it. The wrong TV. Amen. The New Life version says, Jesus said, why do you ask me that? The one who has faith can do all things. Now, this is really important. This is the crux of the matter, you see. And, and, and it's relevant for you and me. I'm explaining why some people were not healed. I'm explaining why some people have a, a roadblock that just seemingly will not be removed. It's, it, it, it's right here. This story is not in the Bible just so Pastor John will have something to talk about on Sunday. It's so you and I can make some changes so we can be healed, so our loved ones can receive healing. We can be delivered. Amen. This man did not question Jesus's willingness. He questioned his ability. See, he didn't say, Lord, you can do anything. He said, if you can do anything. If means, I'm not sure. Maybe you can. Maybe you can't. But faith has no ifs. Faith is being sure. Hallelujah. See, when you say things like, if you're really God, go ahead and heal my daughter. If you're really the Lord, then go ahead and pay my rent. If you're really omnipotent and omniscient and omnipresent, then go ahead and help me. All of those little ifs just cancel your prayer because there's no if in faith. And you're trying to zabberzost God. I dare you. Go ahead. If you don't heal me, the Bible's going in the dustbin. That's not the way to pray. And some people say, I'm going to fast until God heals me. That's not a fast. That's a hunger strike. And God will let you go ahead and die. And when you get to heaven, you can listen to the recording of this sermon again since you weren't listening today. <laughs> Maybe. Oh, that's right. This man in Mark chapter 9 he was caught in an impasse, like a stalemate. He was in a place, figuratively speaking, he was in a place where God cannot, could not move on his behalf until the man moved. So if I've prayed and nothing's happening, then that means something has to change. And it can't be God because God doesn't need to change. And that's the problem. Some people in their prayers, they're trying to change God. Well, pfft, good luck with that. No, no, we're the ones who need to change. So if there's a failure somewhere, it doesn't mean we're terrible people. But if there's a failure somewhere, it's not in heaven. It's down here. Right? So instead of saying, God, I don't understand why you don't do something, what you should pray is, show me where I'm missing it. Show me what I need to do. And he'll, he'll do that. He'll do that for you. So very often, wrong thinking, wrong speaking, wrong believing blocks the miracle from coming. And usually, often the case, we just need to make a slight adjustment. It's not some necessarily huge, big thing, but just a slight change. And that opens the door and the power of God can flow. So this man, in essence, you know, if you examine it, in so many words, he said to Jesus, it's up to you. Lord, it's up to you. And Jesus quickly responded, 
basically saying, no, 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 no. It's not just up to me. It's also up to you. You have something to do with this. See, nobody wants any responsibility. Oh, just let the Lord heal me. Everybody pray for me. Let the Lord heal me. What do you believe? Oh, I don't believe nothing. But y'all pray for me. No, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. You're wasting your time. Amen. The man said, if you've got the power, go ahead and do it. And Jesus basically said, it's not a question of what I can do. It's a question of what you can believe. So instead of saying, Lord, instead of thinking, what can God do for me? Think, what can I believe him for? God is not limited by your circumstance. He is hindered from helping you by your lack of faith. Amen? Hallelujah. And these nine or so words from the lips of the master, whew, let them rock your world. All things are possible for the one who believes. We need to camp here for a while. We need to live here for a while. All things are possible for the one who believes. Maybe that's the answer to your prayer right there. All things are possible. What if, what if, what if you know, you, you prayed and had a vision and the Lord appeared to you and you said, Lord, I don't have any money and Lord, I don't have any opportunities and, and Lord, there's sickness in my family. Help me, Lord. What should I do? Why would he say something different to you today than what he said to that man 2,000 years ago since he never changes? Because Jesus was not just speaking to that man. He was speaking to all men. All things are possible for the one who believes. Oh, I'm going to say it again. All things, say it with me, all things are possible for the one who believes. Now, is that one here this morning? I said, is that, is that one here this where are Where are you? Are you here this morning? I said, are you here this morning? Hmm? Hmm? Faith makes all things possible. And we have to talk about faith again. Yeah, because you got a lot of impossibilities in your life. Faith makes all things possible. If you believe it, it can happen for you. Faith turns impossibilities into possibilities. Faith removes limitations. When the world says there's no way, God will make a way if you trust him. Now, I know what you're thinking. Outwardly, you're saying, yes, amen, praise the Lord. That's God's word. But inwardly, you're thinking, but it doesn't work for me. I know it's true, but it's not true for me. Well, it won't be true for you unless you believe it. It's when we mix faith with the promise of God that it's activated in our life. So the first step is to believe Mark 9.23. You can't say, you can't sit there all day long thinking, I can't understand it. I don't really figure, forget all that. You're gonna, that's a dead end street. That didn't go nowhere. You say, I believe that. When you wake up tomorrow morning saying, I'm a believer, so all things are possible for me. Praise the Lord. Some people say, well, that's not really true because I'm a Christian and I have nothing but limitations. Jesus didn't say all things are possible for Christians. Well, I believe the Bible. He didn't say all things are possible for the one who believes the Bible is God's word. You must believe that what appears to be an impossibility will change. God will do it for you. Can I get a real amen? All right. Now, when Jesus said, and Pastor John didn't say it, Pastor Jeppy didn't say it, your best friend didn't say it, Jesus said, all things are possible for the one who believes. When he says that, he does not mean believing anything you wish. He's not talking about just believing anything. Faith is not fantasy, and it's not fallacy. 
right? You could say, well, I believe I'm Napoleon. We're going to put you in a, in a mental institution. <laughs> We're not talking about just believing anything you want to believe. Neither is Jesus talking about believing in yourself. I mean, it may be true that more self-confidence might help people to do better in life, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about faith in God. That's what he's talking about. Faith in the Word of God. Faith in Jesus. Amen? And then we know that Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says this. So then, faith comes from sitting and sitting in the church. I, I wish that was so. It comes from hearing. Hearing. Well, on the one hand, you have to audibly have knowledge, receive the knowledge of God's word. But on the other hand, some translations say faith comes from listening. So if you won't listen to God's word, you can't have faith. Without faith, there will be a lot of impossibilities in your life. So the process of the miracle begins when you hear. See, some people say, I don't want to hear nothing. I just, 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 just pray and we'll all go home. Well, why didn't Jesus just pray? He first had to talk to this man. He first had to talk to this man. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. And I am sure that every time you hear the word of God, not my word or somebody else's word, but every time you hear God's word, faith is coming. Faith is coming. Now, you may not receive it, but it's coming. Amen. Faith is coming to you right now. I dare say faith is coming to you into your heart right now. Some folks say, I wish Pastor John would finish his sermon so I could receive my healing. I wish you would receive your healing so I could finish my sermon. You could be healed right now. Jesus didn't say all things are possible to the one who sings. All things are possible to the one who shouts. All things are possible to the one who prays. Those things are nice, but he said all things are possible to the one who believes. You can do that right now. I said you can do that right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And maybe you need to crank up your believing. You got, the, you got the setting on 1.5. You need to be up toward 8, 9, 10 right now. Amen. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Please sit down. Praise the Lord. There is no limitation to faith. But there are prescribed limitations in God's word. You cannot believe for something God didn't promise you or didn't say he's provided for you. Don't throw away your Bible and say, well, I, I, I just believe anything I want to believe. No, that's the recipe for disaster. Amen. When you believe something that God didn't promise you, that's not called faith. That's called presumption. And that doesn't work. Mark 9.24. Uh, I'm, I'm coming into the home stretch now. I've, I've turned the last corner. I'm getting ready to cross the finish line. Will you be with me when, I, when, I, when we had that victory lap? Mark 9.24. Immediately. The father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. Faith begins with a decision. Faith in your heart begins with a decision. Do you remember that Thomas said to his fellow disciples in that upper room in John 20 and verse 25, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, he said, I will never believe. Unless I see it, I will not believe. He didn't say, I can't believe. I'm not able. I just don't have the ability. He said, I will not. I choose not to believe. Well, if someone can choose not to believe, they can also choose to believe. Well, I wish the Lord would appear to me and I could see those nail-pierced hands. Jesus said to Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. He didn't say, Thomas, you're blessed because I appeared to you. He said, you're blessed because he didn't. Come on, I'm preaching better than you're listening right now. Hallelujah. Amen. It begins with a decision. Now, Smith Wigglesworth, I have to mention Smith Wigglesworth. It might, just the Sunday would not be complete. Smith Wigglesworth said this. All lack of faith is due to not feeding on the Word of God. Now, I know during COVID, a lot of activities were curtailed, but I'm imagining that 
eating was not one of the activities you stopped. And as I look around the room, I see evidence of that. I see that some of you, the Lord has enlarged your vision. Okay, sorry. Don't look at me. I'm, 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 I need a different kind of a table here. <laughs> In other words, no matter what's going on, we, may, we, we manage to feed our face. Let's also manage to feed our faith. All lack of faith is due to not feeding on the Word of God. And, and I like what he said, not just reading, although that, that's it, that's true, but feeding. Like some people, some people, forgive me, I have to repeat some things. Some people, they have like a little box of memory, uh, uh, promises, a little box of promises, you know. This is our daily bread, manna from heaven. There's a little box. So before they rush off to work, on the kitchen table, open the little box, pull out a card. Oh, Jesus wept. Put it back in the card and... <laughs> How would you feel if, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's lunchtime or dinner time, and your wife says, okay, here we go. I'm in a hurry, but here you go. She pulls out a plate, and it's got one little grain of rice. <laughs> See, you feed, you feed your body three hot meals a day, and you feed your spirit one cold snack a week, and that's why you don't have any faith. In, in, in Matthew 4, 4, Jesus compared God's word to bread. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He compared the word of God to food, spiritual food, right? Think about this. When I eat bread, or rice, or roti, whatever it is, when I eat bread, I make a conscious choice to put the food in my mouth. The bread does not jump off the plate and jump into my mouth. I, I reach out and I take hold of it. And you can see that I know how to do that. So, <laughs> right? And then I chew it. The, the bread doesn't do gymnastics in my, on my tongue or something like that. I, I make the choice, you know, I'm doing that. I decide. And then I, I swallow it. I could spit it out, but I swallow it, right? That's, that's a, a decision I make. Now, once I swallow that food, it goes into my digestive tract. And from here, on, from here on out, my body takes over. I don't have to concentrate. All right, I'm digesting my breakfast. <laughs> Come on, more juice. No, no, my, my, my stomach, you know, it just, my intestines, they, they know what to do. They, they said, we'll take it from here. We got it. John, go ahead about your business. We'll take it from here. Right? When you hear the word of God and receive it, you make a choice. I believe that. Even if you don't feel like you have a lot of assurance, even if you don't feel like you have a lot of confidence, when you make the choice, I receive that. I believe it. That's like swallowing the food. And then your spirit says, okay, I got it from here. I know what to do. I'll digest that. I, I, I'll take that nourishment all over your spirit and the faith and the strength that comes from it will be in you. So that means faith is both voluntary and involuntary. You make the choice to hear and receive and your heart knows what to do. With that in mind, I have to quote Kenneth Hagin Rama might send me a letter if I don't. So, <laughs> Brother Hagen said this, it takes no effort whatsoever on the part of the intellect or the will of man to obtain faith. Faith accompanies knowledge. As soon as the light of knowledge comes, faith is there. See, the word has to go from your head to your heart. That's the digestive process I'm talking about. The word has to go from up here, down here. And when the word of God enters your spirit, you'll know it. You'll know it. When the word of God comes into your heart, not just in your mind, that's the first step. When it comes down into the inner man, the real you, you'll know it. You'll know it because you know your own heart. Hallelujah. And then, as Brother Hagin said, then faith is there. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Some people say, well, you can't really have faith unless the Holy Spirit gives it to you. Well, yeah, the Holy Spirit certainly is involved in the whole process, and he's our helper. But then again, in Mark chapter 9, verse uh, 24, we don't read that after Jesus said all things are possible to him that believes, we don't read that suddenly 
the man felt a surge of inspiration rise up in him. And then faith, like a dove, came down from heaven, and he was electrified and said, Woo, something's happening to me right now. I have faith. No. He just blurted out, I believe. He just, he just made a choice. I believe. Help my unbelief. And evidently, that was all that Jesus was waiting to hear. Evidently, that's, a, that's all he was waiting to hear. Those words, I believe. Because immediately, he cast the devil out of that boy. Maybe he's just waiting for you to say the same thing. I believe. Maybe he's just waiting for those words to come out of your mouth. I believe. Boom. He goes to action, into action. Now, the man also said, help my unbelief. But again, evidently, Jesus ignored that part because he didn't say, all right, brother, I'm going to help. No, he didn't say anything. He just cast the devil right out of, that, out of that boy. I believe. Maybe that's what God's waiting to hear from your lips. I believe. I believe. Come on, if you, if you can't say it in this sanctified place, where can you say it? If you can't say it in church, are you going to say it, you know, in front of your unbelieving relatives? I don't think so. If you're nervous because, you know, Brother Zama Zama sitting next to you, how are you going to feel out there in the marketplace? I believe. I believe. Hallelujah. Oh, I have to tell this story. Oh, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. You know, new people come, so they don't always hear everything you said before. But years ago, back in the 1990s, 98, something like that, there was this epidemic, not COVID, another epidemic and it was this conjunctivitis, you know. You've heard, some of you heard this story before. It was conjunctivitis where it, it's uh, joy bungla, they call it. I don't know why. And, uh, and so everybody's eyes are infected. And they're all red and bloodshot. Some of you remember that? Some of you look like you have it now. Their eyes are, eyes are red and bloodshot. And there's all this, you know, stuff, you know, this boogery stuff, sorry, coming out of their eyes and streaming down their faces. And so everybody's wearing dark sunglasses. Even, in, even the waiter inside the dark restaurant is wearing these dark sunglasses. The police constable at the police points wearing these sunglasses because when you take the sunglasses off, we all look like Dracula. <laughs> Scary. And this is just not your day, honey. And I'm sorry to say that even Pastor Jeppy got it. <laughs> so we go to the doctor. And I'm, I'm all in favor of that. I don't have any problem with that whatsoever. Praise God for that. So we go to the doctor, and the doctor gives her some drops and things like that. And then he says to me, because I'm sitting next to her, and I'll get some drops for you too. And I said, I don't need it. He said, oh, I know, but you'll get it. <laughs> By the way, he's a Christian. <laughs> Bless his heart. He said, I know, but, but you'll get it. And I said to him, sitting there in his little uh, office, uh, doctor, I don't mind telling you that I will never have conjunctivitis. And he looked at me like I slapped him. <laughs> and he said, what makes you say that? And I said, I believe. I believe. Well, you know, we went home and everything like that. And the next day I was in my office and my eye started to kind of itch a little bit. <laughs> kind of like a little dry, a little itchy. And I'm not kidding. It seemed like the devil jumped on my shoulder and laughed at me and said, I don't mind telling you, I'm going to have conjunctivitis. <laughs> you know, the devil, he's such a nut. <laughs> How are you going to look preaching this Sunday with that red eye? How are you going to look preaching in front of all those people? I have faith, you know. <laughs> And I said, no, 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 I don't have it, and I won't have it. And for like, you know, like for like 15 minutes or so, I was so tempted to just start scratching, you know, and, but I just said, no, no, I don't have it, and I won't have it. Hallelujah, because I believe. And after 15 minutes or so, whatever little itchy little thing and all those thoughts, it just went away, and I never had it. Praise the Lord. Turn to someone next to you and say, I believe. I believe. I believe. Glory to God. Jesus turned and cast out the demon. And the boy was set free. Actually, when he, when he spoke to the demon, the, the evil spirit convulsed him. And it looked like the boy was dead. Sometimes when God works in your life, 
At first, it looks like things are getting worse, not better. It looked like, well, Lord, we wanted you to heal my boy, not kill him. <laughs> but Jesus lifted him up by the hand, and the boy was perfectly well. Hallelujah. Why did, the, why did the demon, like, convulse him? He's giving it one last try. The enemy's giving it one last try, hoping that you'll say, oh, it's not working. Ah, oh, we better pray some more. That's what he's hoping for, but Jesus didn't fall for that. Don't you fall for it either. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. One more quick point, and i got to go. I'm, I'm over time. I apologize, but... When the disciples were alone, they asked Jesus in verse 28, why did we fail? Why were we not able? And Jesus answered and said, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Verse 29. Actually, in the New King James Version, it says by prayer and fasting. But again, the original Greek or the best and most reliable Greek manuscripts don't say that. They just say prayer. They don't say and fasting. Those words were, shouldn't be there in that verse. One little thought. He said, this kind, this kind of demon cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. One little thought. But Jesus didn't pray for the boy. He did not ask the disciples to pray for the boy. He didn't say, brothers, let's all go aside and pray tonight. He didn't. In fact, I'll go one step further. Jesus never prayed for the sick. You think he did, but he never, I didn't say he didn't heal the sick or he didn't minister to the sick. I said he never prayed for them. He laid hands on them. He spoke to them. They touched him, but he never prayed for the sick. He certainly never prayed that God would cast out a demon. He spoke the command. The evil spirit left. But if you read the whole chapter of Mark 9, he had just come down from what we call the Mount of Transfiguration. And there he was praying. And the glory of God was just manifested. Even his clothing began to, to, to be brilliant. His, the, even the, his visage, his face was just like radiant. I'm sure what he means is it's not just praying for that situation. It's being prayerful. He lived a life of prayer. He just came down from the very presence of God, and then he cast out the devil. So what I mean is this. If we want the miraculous, we not only need the written word of God, we need the spoken word of God. We not only need to read the Bible, we need to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to our hearts. And, of course, they agree. The Spirit and the Word always agree. Hallelujah. I want you to stand with me to your feet today.